this morning as we dive into Psalm 16, um, the title of the sermon is All My Hope. And as Providence would have it, the song by David Crowder, All My Hope is in Jesus, was just playing. Um, we did not plan that. It just happened that way. Um, but yeah, throughout this series, it has been quite interesting to me to see how the book of Psalms has begun. Um, you know, most of the times, probably we, when we think of Psalms, we probably think of uplifting and cheerful and, and songs of joy. But, but actually, the first 15 so far have really take us, taken us on quite a different journey. And again, as God would see fit, I believe it was at the right time for us. Um, I know that not everybody goes through the same issues. I know not everybody faces the same storms. But, but I know lately, um, and when I say lately, probably over the last year, there have been a lot of ups and downs for a lot of you and a lot of, for me too. And the joy of being able to be encouraged by the word I think it was a direct leading of God for us to, to not only go into the Psalms, but go into the Psalms the way we have by going um, one, two, three consecutive like this because it just puts us deep into a certain area of thought as we reflect on what David is going through and, and what David is writing about and, and how it is um, seeing itself played out as he's learning to trust in the Lord, and, and next week, as we will conclude, we'll, we'll have spent all of this time just reflecting on the goodness of God during the midst of storms. That, that's kind of probably been the, the thrust of where we have been in Psalms up to this point. And this morning, it kind of takes that, but then leads us to an encouraging area, right? Um, David has gone through some serious trials, and, and sometimes we don't know exactly what the trials are. It, it could be anywhere from um, his life being threatened um, as he was coming into power and had power promised. Um, King Saul was very jealous and even wanted David dead at times. Um, and so there were threats on his life. He was being pursued by his son one time because his son wanted him dead. Um, there have been threats to his throne, so as he's king. And that's kind of where we find ourselves in Psalm 16. We don't know exactly the situation, but there's, there's no doubt that he's facing yet again another um, great trial, a storm. And, and one thing that we have pointed out so far and, and we've seen through the first 15 Psalms is that the Christian life is definitely going to be filled with storms and difficulties. Like, there's no getting around that. Um, you know, you, you hear some alternative message constantly on the radio and on television today, but that, that's not the truth. It's not about following Jesus so everything can get better. It's actually just pursuing and following Jesus because he's good and he's holy and he's righteous. But when we do follow him, when we do give our lives to him, everything actually typically seems to get harder um, because pursuing Holiness, pursuing godliness, um, goes against worldly wisdom and a worldly standard, and it begins to really push back on who we are. And you know, just as Jesus said, and you know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You know, it's hard to live the life of a Christian. Uh, but the question kind of becomes for us, right? Where do we turn when those storms begin to rage? When things begin to get really difficult, where do we turn? And, and how do we respond? Psalm 16 is a clear kind of roadmap for us. And, and it begins to remind us that all of our hope is in Jesus, right? And so the main idea for where we will be in Psalm 16, looking at all my hope, is this. That Christians can look confidently to Jesus as our refuge because of the hope we have in Him. Okay? And I want to pray for us, and then we will begin to work through Psalm 16 together. And hopefully are reminded that he, excuse me, truly is our ultimate hope. Father, 
we pray, God, now that as we open your word together, that we hear you. God, you have brought us here today. You know who's here today. And we come trusting that you have been preparing our hearts to hear from you today. Now, the question is, God, do we build up a wall and try to ignore what you're saying to us through your word? Or do we receive it with glad and generous hearts? God, the, the truth that you speak to us through your word is evident to us. But so often, we turn away and we object to listening. But Father, as we come into this point of the service, we do ask that you will just tear down those walls. That we would just let our guard down and hear the truth of your word. All the things that we pursue so often will become clear to us that they're not giving us true joy and hope. That our running from you and running away from the things that you would have us to run towards God and just not pursuing you above all would just become clear to us as such a, a source of rejection of you that we would just confess those sins and that we would find rest in who you are as we're reminded ultimately that all of our hope is in Jesus so we do ask that you would bless the reading of your word this morning that you would encourage the downcast soul that you would ignite a fire within us to live for the glory of your name above all things that you will convict us of the things that we put before you every day and that we would just simply be reminded that You are all we need. So Father, we ask you to work. That you would bless the reading of your word and that your Holy Spirit would speak truth clearly to us today. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen. So again, main idea, Christians can look confidently to Jesus as our refuge because of the hope we have in him. And as we begin to dive into Psalm 16, we begin to see that he is our refuge. Right off the bat, David just comes to the Lord in prayer. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this adversity, he starts with going to the Lord in prayer. Again, he's facing some sort of serious adversity. And, and again, we don't know exactly when he wrote this, so we don't know exactly what the adversity is, but it's clear that he's going through some type of great trial. Again, it could be a threat to his life, which happened multiple times. It could be a threat to his throne, but regardless of the situation, it, it's not important for us to know the details of that. What's important for us is to see how he responds in the midst of this trial. And so we dive into verse 1 and he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David turns to the Lord. He turns to the Lord in prayer. He turns to the Lord as his refuge because David knows this, that regardless of what his situation is, it doesn't matter how horrible the storm may be, it doesn't matter how threatening this situation may be, it, he knows more than anything that none of them are too great because his God is greater. 
We know that in David's life, he saw how God proved himself over and over and over again. And in the midst of this great tribulation in his life, he turns to God and he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He turns to the Lord. He doesn't try to fix the situation out again. This is either a man coming into power as king, so he has a great um, rapport, or he's already king, right? And if that's the case, then he has multiple resources, right? But he doesn't try to fix whatever the situation is on his own. He, he doesn't try to put all the pieces together. He doesn't turn to worldly wisdom. He doesn't try to basically um, do everything himself. Instead, he turns to God. The only one who truly is all-wise and the only one he truly knows has the power to fix the situation. He is resting completely in the hands of God. How often, though, do we do the exact opposite? I mean, because, again, most of us, all of us, fit into one of three categories. And we've said this before, but... We've either gone through a serious trial, we're either going through a serious trial, or we will go through a serious trial. Like, there's no escaping that. You're going to fall into one of those three categories. The question is, is where do you turn? How do you respond? And I think for most of us, probably all of us, the temptation is to turn instead not to him, not to his word, but to ourselves. We try to fill the void that only Christ can fill with so many other things. We turn to stuff, people, our spouse, our, our kids, our families, our friends, our hobbies, um, entertainment, pornography, self-medication, prescription drugs, recreational drugs. It doesn't matter. We, we turn to everything else. Instead of resting in who God is and the word that he has given to us. And the truth for us is this, is that if we want our hearts and our minds to be filled with the hope of Jesus, then we must fill them with his word. Nothing else. I mean, because if we're Christians, if we're saying we're Christians, then, then we should also be saying we want him to be filled. We want our lives to be filled with him. But if we're not filling our lives with his word and, and a rest in him, then do we truly want to be filled by him? And this is really a convicting thing for us because, again, our tendency is not to turn to him, it's to turn to everything else. I mean, our world is plagued with this. Our culture is plagued with this. And I'm not just saying outside of the church. I'm talking about inside the church. The temptation for us is not to turn to Jesus. It's to turn to everything else. We flood our lives with self-medication, whatever the fix may be, instead of turning to Christ. So as David writes Psalm 16, the encouragement for us is to turn to the Lord as our refuge. To turn to Him instead of all the other things. To, to find rest in His sovereign hand instead of everything else. You know, a soldier doesn't go into battle without his weapons, but yet we try to go into the battle of everyday life without the only weapon we need. I mean, it wouldn't make a lot of sense if we were put on the front lines and we just run into battle and all we did was just scream and just shake our fist. I mean, it's not going to work, right? But God has given us all we have to do, I mean, all we need to do all that he has called us to do, and yet we constantly turn elsewhere. But he is our refuge. And again, if we want the Lord to be using us, if we want to be surrendered to God, then we have to surrender to God. 
But we will only turn to the Lord as our refuge when we know that he is both all we have and all we need. If, if you're one of those categories where you've already been through a trial or you're going through a trial, then you've probably hit a point where you realize that you are absolutely helpless. All your answers are gone. All your attempts have failed. And all hope seems to be lost. And it's at that point to where we truly should be reminded that all of our hope is not lost. We're just looking for it in the wrong place. It's in Jesus. Is he our refuge? Have we reminded ourselves through the reading of the word that God is enough? Can we pray with David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge? Now again, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to me just as much right here because it's so easy to read that and say, of course I do. But if we get real, I don't know that we could echo what he's saying in verse 1, what he's praying in verse 1. And the, the conviction for me is I've come to realize that I don't rest in Jesus like I should. And I think the challenge is for all of us to ask, where are we at? Can we truly say, for in you do I take refuge? That he is all we need. All we need. But not only is he our refuge, but he's also our confidence. Listen to this quote from Stephen Lawson. It says, No one is ready to live until he is first ready to die. Only in facing the reality of death with a living faith in God is a person prepared to live boldly and courageously for him, even in the midst of troubling adversity. And I think that last line is really the kicker here. Because it's easy to say, I want to live for Jesus when things are going good, but when everything seems to be falling apart, again, our temptation, our natural instinct, because of the sinful nature within us, is to turn to other things instead of turning to Christ. But if we're truly resting in Christ, then we understand that in the midst of all things falling apart, we can echo Psalm 46, to be still and know that I am God. And so David, in verse 2, again turns to the Lord and he says, I, said, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. See, David could turn to the Lord as his refuge, again, his prayer in verse 1, because he was both well aware of who he was and who he was. And he knew that apart from God, apart from God's graciousness, apart from God's goodness, he was both nothing and had nothing. Now think about this, right? This is a man who more than likely was either in line for the throne with people singing his praises. Again, remember the people, Saul had slayed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. He had the favor of the people. Or he was already king, and as king, he would have been extremely powerful, the most powerful man around. And here he's saying that without God, I am nothing. His confidence was in the goodness and the greatness of God. Notice how he phrases the beginning of verse 2. I say to the Lord, now notice it's all caps, right? So he's referring to Yahweh, the sovereign God, the, the name attributed to Father God. And he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which is Adonai, my king. 
You are both my God and my King. I have nothing. I am nothing. You see the humility there to be able to rest completely in knowing that God was everything for him. If he had hope, it was going to be in God. If he had power, it was going to be in God. If he had anything, it was a gift from God. Yet so often in our life, we think God is just kind of like an addition, right? Like it's almost a benefit to him that he can be in my life, right? I worked this hard. I achieved what I have achieved. I am the one who got into college and and did well in college, and I got this job, and I've got this career, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. I've accomplished this. I am this person. When all the while we completely ignore the fact that we are only who we are because God has allowed us to be that. And here David is acknowledging that Jesus is all, or that God is all he has, that God is all he needs. So the question for us, again, is this, is Jesus all to us? Or is he simply just an asterisk on our life? I think the way for most American Christianity is he's just an asterisk. Several years ago, I went to a youth uh, worker convention thing, and I was, there was a, um, a professor of youth ministry from um, New Orleans Baptist Seminary, and he was talking about the fact that most of us believe not in a sovereign creator, King Jesus, but we believe in a pocket Jesus, a little figurine Jesus that we can just put in our front pocket and pull him out whenever we need him. He's, just con- he's a convenience to us, that he surrenders himself to us and not us to him. And I, I think that's spot on. And, and we could try to argue that all we want, but all we have to do is just look at our lives. Our lives tell the truth. Our lives tell the clear story. And it's, I don't know if you're an art person, it's not like looking at a Picasso. A Picasso, you know, you'll look at it forever and you can't figure out what in the world's going on. Like you can even read the title and it just doesn't make sense. It's more like looking at something that is extremely clear. Right? No doubt. I know what I'm looking at, right? What is our life saying? What, what is our life telling? Do you find the greatest joy and satisfaction in Jesus? Or is it something else? Like every day, what... What is the thing you look forward to the most? Is it just knowing that you have been given another day and, and you have been set in motion by God for God? Is, is he your ultimate prize? Or is it something else? Is it your spouse? Your kids? Your career? Your hobbies? What is it? What are the things that give you the most joy? I heard it said a long time ago, if you want to find out where somebody's heart is, just go to their bank account. Man, that's convicting. You know my, you know where my heart's at? I like to eat a lot. But I think all of us could probably definitely use some of our attention returning to Jesus. You know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and we were talking about New City um, and how blessed we are with the church that God is building here and and all the things that God is doing and allows us to do. Um, And the comment that I made was I'm constantly baffled by just the amazing work that God has done here. And I just can't understand why we don't grow faster. (laughs) But then I'm kind of reminded that 
maybe it's not because of something that God has done, but it's maybe it's more of what we're not doing. You know, the fastest way anything grows is word of mouth, right? Um, if you have any kind of marketing background, you, you know that. I mean, it's people get excited about something, right? I mean, not really around here as much because we don't really use Twitter as much, but, I mean, everywhere else in the world uses Twitter, and, you know, something can be trending by the end of the day, and everybody in the world knows about it. You know, hashtag whatever it is. We, we share what's passionate to us. And I'm, again, I'm speaking to myself just as much because it's so easy for me to, to have conversations with folks that never utter the name Jesus. You want the news on what the Bulldogs are doing? I got it. I know. And maybe that's a little boastful, but unfortunately, it's true. You want to know what's going on with the recruiting? I know. You want to know what's going on in practice? I know. You want to know the dirt and the, the all the underlying stuff? I know it. And I can go on and on and on telling you all about it. And what this reporter said and what this media referenced and what this player said and how this player's responding and what's going on in practice and, you know, what the latest news is. But never mention the name of Jesus. But it's so easy for us to proclaim what we're most passionate about. And so maybe when I begin to ask myself, well, why do I not talk about Jesus more? Maybe I'm not as passionate about Jesus as I say I am. But where's the thing, who is the one that gives us our greatest joy and satisfaction? Now, what David does is he then turns his attention to two contrasting people, right? Verse 3 says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints, that is referring to those of God's people on earth, those who have trusted in God, those who have served God, who are giving their lives to God. It's God's people. And David, as God does, is delighting in God's people. Even when they fail, he is delighting in God's people. See, because despite your failures, great and small, Jesus loves you with a never-ending love. Jesus' love for us is not based on who we are. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on how we live our life, how I love my wife, how I care for my kids, or how well I do my job. Jesus, God's love for us is based on Jesus, period. His work. You know, and I think maybe that's one of the biggest hindrances to us is because we, we try to do and do and do and so we get burned out, so we just kind of give up. You ever, you ever done that? Like ha have your mind set on a project and you just realize this is too much, so I just don't do it? Maybe that's what our life looks like in serving Christ is we just get to a point we know we can't do anymore, so we just give up. But how freeing would it be if we actually realized that the love of God towards us is not dependent on whether or not we do this, 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 or this. God's love towards us depends completely on one thing and one thing alone, and that is whether or not we have surrendered our life to Christ. It's the work of God in Christ that saves, period. And how freeing that is. To know that, yes, I'm going to fail. I'm going to screw up. Probably multiple times before the end of the day. But God in his 
graciousness cares for me. And He loves me greatly. How much joy should fill our lives as we remember that truth. Does our life reflect that, though? Does my life reflect that even in the midst of failures, God loves me? And when I say, does my life reflect that, how do I look at other believers? How do I look at other Christians? Do I delight in God's people? Do I love God's people despite their failings? Because remember, God loves me despite my failings. Listen, I have another quote for you. This is from James Montgomery Boyce. um, Great pastor, theologian. Um, He's in glory now, but his works are always so on point. He says, this is a practical matter. For it is a way by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding to be with them? Do you seek their company? He says, this is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who also love him. We buck at spending time with other believers so often. But we desperately need each other. We're saved by the work of God. But he gives us each other for accountability, to be able to work together to see his glory proclaimed. And so what we find is David is saying, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all is all my delight. But then on the flip side, right, the contrary, he goes to verse 4, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So he begins to look at those who turn to other gods. That's like lowercase g, right? We, we, those who are turning to other things for purpose and meaning instead of turning to Jesus, instead of turning to the Lord. Now, don't do what I did and read this and immediately like, I'm sorry for those folks. Because we're all guilty of this, right? We, we just kind of talked about this. Like, where do we find our purpose and meaning? Where do we find joy and satisfaction? Anything that we put above God becomes our God. Right? And he's saying for those who turn to other gods for, for, for purpose and meaning and not to Jesus will find nothing but sorrow. Because there's no hope outside of him. Again, all of these things that we try to fill our life with, they might give us like, Momentary joys, right? A little bit of happiness. But ultimately, will just lead us completely into a brick wall. Because they're not going to be able to fill us. And so for us, you can only, you can continue to try to fill your life with everything under the sun, but you won't find true joy and hope until you trust the sun. So at what point will we own up to this, and we quit pursuing everything else and actually pursue Jesus. Then we get to verses 5 and 6, and David begins to kind of refocus. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I think before I really dig in, you need to remember that he is going through a trial, right? And even though he is facing a great adversity and temptation, 
instead of turning to worldly wisdom, instead of turning to other little g-gods, instead of turning to himself, he remains steadfastly confident in, confident in the Lord. Nothing that he can go through or will go through is going to break his trust in God. Not because he is some great human being, but because God is so great and he holds him in his hand. He says in verse 5 again, The Lord is my chosen portion, portion and my cup. You hold my lot. David rested in the sovereignty of God. He was completely trusting of the Lord's leading. Even in the hard times. Right? What about you? What about me? Am, am I trusting the Lord's leading in my life? Again, when things are going good, it's easy to say, yep. But all the other times, it's pretty hard. You know how easy it is to question God's good, goodness and God's motives? <laughs> I think you probably do. Because we all do it every day, right? Yes, why? Why me? What have I done to deserve this? The answer is everything. But as Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in love and mercy, has loved us despite us. Let's paraphrase. Because believe it or not, he is truly working all things together for good. Whether or not we want to admit it, he is. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And, and sometimes in life, we are left feeling that Jesus is all we have. But we should also rest in the promise that he is all we need. That when we get to the point to realize that we have nothing left but Jesus, we need to remember that that's enough. Because most of us don't want to do that. Like, I've lost this relationship, or I've lost this friend, or I've lost this ability, or I've lost this job, or this position, and... All I have left is Jesus, and we mourn because it's like it's not enough, but it is. He is enough. Later in the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, we read this in verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The first time I was really, truly exposed to this um, verse was several years ago. I uh, was watching, I got, I saw a, a clip on YouTube of um, a John Piper sermon. And he was actually preaching against the prosperity gospel. But he gets to this point in the, the, the clip and he was like, you know, it's the, it's the woman who just watched her little girl get hit by a car and she lands dead onto the street and she can walk over and she can say the Lord is... Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Believing in a gospel that is going to pursue Jesus and we just get everything under the sun, that's not the gospel. And that's going to leave you in a pretty dark place when everything begins to fall apart. When everything begins to spiral out of control, then you're realizing, like, but this is not what I was trusting in. Because it's the wrong thing. If Jesus is all we have and Jesus is all we need, then we can just on repeat quote Psalm 73 in our heart and realize that he is all. Our confidence comes in him. Our confidence comes from him. Not us. Not our talents. Not our abilities. Not the things we have or the things we can pursue. But in Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's that confidence that leads us into hope. That in the midst of trial, as we see here, David is moved to worship as he's reminded that his hope lies entirely in God.
Verses 7 and 8, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David is rejoicing in God as his counselor. As he is realizing that God is always with him. Again, it's hard to remember these things. It's hard to rest in these things when we neglect the word. God speaks to us through his word. And if we're not filling our hearts with the word, then we're not listening to the voice of God. We're not hearing him speak. We're not being, we're not being encouraged. And, and we quickly forget. Psalms 119.11 says, Your word I've hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's there as a constant God. It's a constant encouragement. It's the constant voice of the Lord speaking to us, reminding us that he is God. And in him we have all that we need. We forget the promises of Romans 8, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's easy to hear a verse like that and say, yeah, I get that, but, but there's no buts in the verse, right? There's not an asterisk there. It doesn't say, and he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose, as long as, or if, but. No, it's just period. He is working all things together for good. Do you know how we can rest that, rest in that and trust in that? Because God is more passionate about his own glory than anything else. And in him pursuing his own glory, he loves us enough to send Christ to be the redemption of sins for us. And he finds glory in his people coming to faith in him. Which is why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are glorious verses, but they are even more glorious when we read verses 10, verse 10 that says all of those things are possible, that we are saved by the work of God and God alone so that we can be set apart to do the work he's called us to do. Our confidence in God leads us to have ultimate hope in him because he's always working for his glory and our good. And this realization just leads us into having a great hope in him and finding ultimate joy and gladness in him. Look at verses 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. How many times in the midst of just agonizing adversity can we echo what David says in verses 7 through 10? I have just lost my spouse, or I've lost my family, or I've lost my job, or I've lost my home, or I've lost whatever. Everything seems to be crumbling, but I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. And so I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You will not abandon me. Do not let me see corruption. You know why he could say that? You know why he could have that kind of confidence and hope in the Lord? Verse 10 is a verse that has been quoted actually several times in the New Testament in some of the most powerful moments of the New Testament. And Paul quoted it, Peter quoted it. It's a reference greatly to Christ. I will not be shaken. I can put the Lord before me because you will not let your Holy One, Jesus, see corruption. He will walk the path perfectly to Calvary. That's where our hope lies. It lies in Jesus. And the truth is, is that you can only be glad during difficult seasons when all of your hope is in Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my 
song. When everything else seems to be falling apart, Jesus is there. When everything else crumbles, Jesus remains secure, steadfast. And he keeps us. Again, verse 10. For you not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And in Scripture we find the promise that if, if God kept His Son and if God glorified His Son, how much more will He also give us all things? So when you surrender your life fully to Jesus and you trust Him for salvation from sin, you are eternally secured in the sovereign grip of the Savior. He never lets I know that there are a lot of folks that believe that you can lose your salvation. Um, but in all honesty, I just don't see that in the Word. That makes God weak. That makes our Savior fallible. But He's not. He will hold us fast. There's, and there's nothing you can do or say to stop that. Now, the common thing is we have a tendency to take that truth and abuse it. To say we're followers of God, to say we're resting in Jesus. And that we now have a license to do whatever in the world we want to do. Paul faced that in the early part of Romans. Sin is going rampant, and so he even poses the question should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? You know, because if we can do whatever we want, and if that makes the grace of God greater, then I might as well live like hell so that God could be glorified more because His grace is being poured out all the more. But He says, by no means. By no means. Because when God comes into our life, our heart, and He washes it clean, everything changes. Everything changes. I think they're telling me to hurry. I don't know if you all heard that or not, but they're knocking back there, okay? But the hope that we have in Jesus is that he never leaves and he never lets go. And that promise that he keeps us, that he seals us, it seals our hope in him. So David in verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever." You want to know true hope? You want to know true joy? Rest in Jesus. Let him be all that you need. Acknowledge that. Trust in him above all things. I love the song that we sing often, Bound for Glory. So in closing, um, in this point, I just want to read you the lines to this song real quick. It says, This world is not my home. I'm here for a moment. It's all I've ever known, but this world is not my home. The fight is not my own. These burdens aren't my future. The empty tomb has shown that I'm bound for glory. The saving work is done. Death is not my ending. My God has overcome. I am bound for glory. It says I'm free because I'm bound, and I'm bound for heaven's gate. Where my feet will stand on holy ground, I am bound for glory. So I want to kind of leave with a few questions. Is your hope, your confidence in Jesus? Have you surrendered to him for salvation? Are you living every moment 
as it could be your last moment. And that's not some gimmick to try to scare you into trusting in Christ, but it is a desperate call for you to wake up. If you're not trusting in Jesus, we're not promised another moment. So are you living every moment like it could be your last? One of probably my favorite quotes, um, and I actually almost had it painted on the top of this pulpit when Ed built it for me, Um, but I was afraid I'd be distracted by it, which is pretty easily happening. But It's a quote from Richard Baxter, who's an author of a book called The Reformed Pastor. He was a um, a Puritan theologian and pastor, but he says, I preached as sure to never preach again as a dying man to dying men. In other words, am I living every moment of I'm preaching every sermon, am I doing everything I have like it could be the very last thing I do? Not to earn the favor of God, but to give God the most glory. So am I living every moment as it could be my last? So I want to encourage you, if not a Christian, and I pray that you would give your soul to him, that you would surrender your life to him, that you, that I would live life as if there is truly no tomorrow, and that we would gladly proclaim that all of our hope is in Jesus. Father, we trust your spirit to speak now. For those who have not rested in you, for not trusted in you, God, I pray that you call them to repentance right now, that they would come to know you in faith. And that for those who have trusted in you, God, who may be struggling, God, I pray that you just give us the courage to live boldly for you. That we would, as the quote we read earlier, understand that we can't truly live until we first understand what it means to die. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. To do your work for your glory. And to find ultimate joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.